You know what I've been amazed at? I've been amazed at the fact of how little something can change or how little something um, can cause someone to all of a sudden feel um, way better about themselves. Like, like they can go from like being like whatever to like having that like feeling of confidence and all that. Like for girls, like when you guys get a new haircut and all that, it's like you walk up and guys, if you're smart enough to recognize that, which is smart to do, and you're like, oh, I love your new haircut. And you're like, what's that? And I'm like, like, you weren't planning that this whole time. Or if it's longer, you have like the full like thing like that. I'm like, that's cool that you can do that. Guys, when we do get new haircuts, we feel pretty good about ourselves too. But I mean, what's funny with guys is the moment they start working out, they can see the difference even though nobody else can. Like I used to have college roommates, like they would work out for a week and then they look in the mirror and they're like, look at these cuts. And I'm like, there aren't any. Like, what are you talking about? Like you weigh a buck 15, that's not cuts, that's just skinny. Like... But they would, get, they would get so excited about it. It's so funny with my son. My son's six years old. It's like the littlest amount of knowledge like, in, like encourages pride. My son, when uh, COVID hit and we had to start doing homeschooling, it, that whole deal, like my son thought he was smarter than my wife. Like they're doing like basic addition. And my wife's like, hey, this is how you do it. He's like, no, mom, I know how to do this. I'm six. <laughs> Excuse me? And then she would come into my office and be like, you need to talk to your son. It's my son at that point. And I have to walk in and go, son, your mom's smarter than you. I promise. But here's the one, and I'm sorry if this is you in here. We all have that friend that, that's in a relationship that they think it's the best relationship, like the, the defined love ever. Like, you know, the ones that are in the relationship, they're like, no, like your relationship's great. But our relationship, it's love. Like real love. Like, it's just, I can't, I can't define it. I hope one day you will have something like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's the really annoying couple and you're waiting for them to have a fight. Like, you're just hoping, like you're starting stuff and you're like, hey, weren't you looking at that girl over there? You, like, he wasn't, but like you just, it's, it's, it's nauseating. I remember one time at church, we had this couple that brand new, married, all that. They went on their honeymoon. They came back and they were standing in front of everybody. They actually could sing and they were singing. And during, while they were singing, they started to hold hands and everybody in the crowd was like, oh, and so they went, oh, they were, like, they were like, that's nice. And apparently they got offended. They thought everybody was like talking down to them, all that. And they held hands at the end of the song. They go, guys, you don't understand. We decided on our honeymoon that this is the way it's always going to be. And we're never going to fight. And literally at that point, the entire crowd erupted in laughter because they knew, they knew that's, that's not what happens. But here, here's what's crazy to me. Like something like Christianity, like from the basis of it, when you look at Jesus, nothing about Jesus's life screamed pride. Like nothing. He was the one that could have had the most pride. He had all the power. He had the ability to do so many things, yet nothing screamed pride. But when you look at Christians, why is it? Like just after a little bit of time, it seems like we gain pride. Like it's the person that gets over an addiction and all of a sudden starts judging those with addictions, right? It's the person that starts to do things the right way or learn more about the Bible than all of a sudden says everybody else that doesn't know the same amount isn't good enough. I mean, what's interesting in our series that we've been going through, a lot of it, we've been talking about things that the church has done or hurt people or people have hurt others. And really what we're talking about today is the baggage is something that we somehow for some reason take on and it goes after other people. And let me just say this, when we talk about pride, this is what always happens. You start thinking about the person next to you. Yeah, they have a lot of pride. I hope they're listening. You're listening, right? You have a lot of pride. Or you start thinking about somebody in your family. You're like, I need to tell them to listen to this podcast. This isn't for me. I'm, I'm good. I, in fact, I'm incredibly humble. But they, they need to hear this. Guys, hear this with, 
pride is an everybody deal. This is not a message about somebody else. This is a message about you. In fact, pride is the base of all sin. I mean, think about it. Pride is the base of all sin. It's always that idea. I deserve more. I know more. It was the first sin. Up in heaven, Satan was up there. He goes, what? He goes, I think I can lead this better than God can. That's, that's a bold statement. He goes, I think I can lead this better than God can. So God kicks him out. He goes down and he basically infuses Adam and Eve with that same sin. Because the first sin with Adam and Eve was, I think we know more than God. I think we can do this better than God. And how many times in our lives have we said that same exact thing? I think I could do this better if I was God. Isaiah 14, 12 to 15 talks about Satan. Just notice how many times it says, I will. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth. You destroy the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God's far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest depths. If I could do this, if I were ahead of this, if I could do these things. Here's what's awful. When you look throughout history and you've heard people say this, you're like, all the Christianity has done, all religion has done has led to death and pain. And it's not Christianity that's led to that, it's religion. It's when people have taken a hold of Christianity and decided, I think this is what God would do because this is what I would do. I mean, you've seen some of the crazy atrocities in this world blamed on Christianity. I mean, Hitler himself said, I believe what God wants us to do is have one race that's ahead of them all. And he killed people for it. Is that anywhere in the Bible? No, but he decided he knew better than God. I mean, you see the crusades, Christians going against the the Muslims in that area, tons of bloodshed going, we're fighting for this. Is that what God wanted? Absolutely not. And you see people all the time yelling at other people, screaming things at them. You know, you see people going to funerals of people and picketing them because of their lifestyle. And you're like, that is not God at all. So here's what's interesting about pride. It's really easy to spot in somebody else. It's really hard to spot in ourselves. In fact, we, can, we tend to see it from a mile away in somebody else, but it's hard to spot in ourselves. And what I want to do today is I want to look at a guy who became king of Israel. It's a guy that came king of Israel, and you see somebody that starts off with incredible humility, yet it all changes. And before we get into it, I just want to define pride. So hear this. It's the tendency to exalt myself, hide my defects, and manage my image. It's the tendency to exalt myself, hide my defects, and manage my image. I think one good example of this is I've seen lately— with a lot of people, if you guys don't know the, the term virtue signaling and, and things like this, this is idea that there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good things now. I mean, your generation more than any other generation gets involved in causes, stands up for what they believe, which is a great thing. The thing that I have a problem with is when I see in social media, and I've seen this with a couple of people that I'm close to, they are out doing things. They're out protesting something, peaceful protests, but every single one of their posts are not about what they're protesting about. It's, guys, we're, we're doing this out here. We're doing the hard fight. It is so hard. You know, we can't believe we're doing this. Nothing about what they're fighting for. Everything is about, look how, what I'm doing. Look what's going on in my life. And they've taken something that matters greatly and somehow turned it to something that's about them. You see, we see this in so many areas of our lives where God has made something great for us and somehow we turn it around to be about ourselves. So we look at this guy in the Bible. His name is Saul. 
And at this time, Israel is what would you would call a theocracy. It's led by God. God didn't put a king ahead of it on purpose because he told them, he goes, guys, if you have a king, kings always tend to turn evil. Kings rule other people. They take in taxes. They take your money. You don't want a king. So God gave them a couple different things. He gave them um, prophets at one time where the prophets would come in and they would say, God said this, and everybody would go, boo, and they killed the prophet. So that wasn't working. So God sent in, uh, he gave them priests. Basically the priest's job were to talk to God for the people. Um, and he gave them judges, which sounds really bad, but really what judges were is they were people that led the Israelites into battle. You had Samson is one, Deborah is another, and they set them up for that. But the Israelites were like, we want a king. God's like, why do you want a king? They're like, well, everybody else has one. Literally, that was their response. Everybody else has a king. God's like, you don't want a king. They'll subjugate you. You don't want a king. They're like, we want a king. And so God goes, okay, we'll have a king. And so this guy named Samuel, who was a priest at the time, goes out and he finds this man named Saul and he anoints him. At this time, Saul is very humble. He's working for his father. He's going out at this time, going and catching the mules that ran away. I mean, this is not like a high priority job that people are going, that's an incredible job, but it's somebody that's incredibly humble. But over time, what happened? You see what happens with somebody, they start off humble, but all of a sudden you give them power. What happens? It, it's amazing how power slowly corrupts people. And so Saul is deciding, I'm going to lead my own way. I'm going to lead the way that I want to lead. And over time, he starts to even take the things that he's supposed to do, and he takes them on himself. One of the things that they were supposed to do was before they went into battle, the priests would meet with Saul, and they would pray about the battle because you want God on your side when you're fighting, Right? Well, the priest is not showing up, so Saul gets mad. So in 1 Samuel 13, we're going to read that. It says, Meanwhile, Saul, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited for seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings, and Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Basically, Saul goes, I'm the priest now. Like he just goes, you know what? I'm going to do this. I've seen Samuel do it before. All we got to do is throw that stuff on there, light it on fire. It's an offering. We're good to go. What happens is, is though, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet him and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is it you've done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. That sounds like a made up place. Michmash. He's going, hey, this isn't my fault. You didn't show up when you wanted to. How many times have we gone, God, you're not showing up when you want to, so I'm just going to do things myself. Right? God, you didn't come through in the way I wanted. You didn't do it right away. God, I prayed. You didn't come through five minutes later, so I'm just going to do it myself. And he goes on, he says, so I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal. And I haven't even asked for the Lord's help, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. He goes, hey, it's your fault. I became priest. It says, how foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the commandment the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would establish your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. Here's what we get from here. And guys, this is the same thing we see in our lives. When we do things the way God has asked us to do it, there is prosperity. The moment we try to be God is the moment we fall away. I mean, think about it. Think about the things in our lives where you feel like you're above. The things that you go, I mean, that's for other people. I mean, just driving, right? It says no U-turn, but you're like, it's okay. I looked around. It's fine. I'm above that, right? Stop sign, you're like, 
it's not really a stop sign for me. I remember my dad one time told me it's a more circular one, so that means a rolling stop. I'm like, it's not circular. Speed limit. Well, that's just for people that can't drive well, right? Crossing double lines, how far you can follow, right? All those things. You notice the longer you drive without a ticket, the more that changes. It's like, you know, I I turn up the radio all the way. It doesn't really matter. I don't need to hear the world around me. I'm an incredible driver. Until what happens? You get either a close call or a wreck and all of a sudden it changes, right? Stereo goes down right away and you're like, all right, I got to pay attention. You slow down and you do things the right way. Why? It's the same thing in life. There's things in our life where God's going, hey, you should do this this way. And we're like, hey, God, that's nice. That's good for the little Christians, you know, for the baby ones. But I'm Hal Mare. You've heard of me. It's different for me. You guys, it's not like we're saying that out loud like that, but it's the way that we're acting. It's so funny. The longer we become Christians, the longer we go, oh, yeah, you should do that. You should. That's good for you. But for me, I I can be ahead of that. I mean, pride is deceptive. It makes me believe the rules are for everyone else or what God said is for everyone else because we can be so much more. So what I want to do is point out three different types of pride that we see in our lives. And here's the first one, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. This is such a good illustration. I've heard it so many times, but it still applies. When you take a group photo, I don't even have to say the rest of it. Right? Who do you look at? It's not everybody else. You don't care what Stacy looks like. It's what do I look like? Are my eyes open? Is everything okay? Did my one eye go the wrong way for some reason? Right? Is everything right with me? And if it's not, what do you do? You go, hey, can we just retake it? And then you have a good one. Stacy looks awful, but you know what? I think that, no, you look good. You look good in any photo, any photo. And if somehow you end up with the bad one, then you use all of the amazing photo editing tools we have now and you make yourself look good. I mean, think about though, like that's an easy thing, but how much does that happen in life? I'll tell you, when, when self-centeredness becomes a regular part of your life, you become more critical. Here's what I mean by you become more critical. You pay attention to what you think everybody else owes you. What everybody else should be doing for you. Because you believe all the stories should be about you. I mean, think about it. When you're a group of people, are all the stories about you? Do you interrupt them telling a story to tell a better story about you? Is it always about what you're doing, what's going on in your life? The problem with self-centeredness is it will always leave you in the center of the conversation. The problem is after a while, people leave. You're the only one there because nobody wants to be around somebody that thinks it's all about them. Self-centeredness is one that we see very easy. Here's a tougher one, self-reliance, self-reliance. This is the, I don't need any help. I can do it on my own. I'm never going to ask for help. I'm never going to ask for directions. I don't think I need help anyone else in our lives. This happens in Christianity all the time because for some reason there's this belief out there that the longer you become a Christian, the less problems you're supposed to have. And true, God does heal problems, but problems are a part of life. Like you just change seasons and new problems come in. Like just because we're a Christian doesn't mean that all of a sudden when you go throughout life, you won't have problems. I mean, right now you can get rid of all of your problems, get married. They're, They're not the problem, but you have a new problem. Have a kid. You have a new problem. It's called sleep. 
go throughout life. And here's what I mean by that. There's always something there. But here's what, I, what we see all the time. Here's what's so funny for us. One of the things people are incredibly prideful about is kids. They will listen to you until the point where you go, hey, I tried this with my son. It really worked. They're like, oh, that's nice, but we're doing this. I'm like, but your kid's doing that. <laughs> my dad always said, you parent your kids not so that you love them, but other people will love them. I'm like, yeah, please parent your kid. I don't like him very much. But there's that idea. And here's, here's what maturity is in a Christian life. Understanding that no matter what phase of life I'm in, I need other people's help. No matter what phase of life I'm in, I need other people on my team that are ahead of me, that have gone before me, that can help me in those things around me. I mean, I hear people say all the time, oh, I don't need to be in church. Oh, you know, I don't need to be in church. I can just, the, the time where I connect God with most, the time for me that is absolutely church is when I, I'm out on a lake in a boat just surrounded by nature. That's church. I'm like, no, that's a good time with God. That's not church. Jesus didn't die for you to be out on a boat and seeing all that. It says in the Bible, Jesus died for the church. It says the church is the hope of the world. Why? Because we need people around us. The problem is when I become self-reliant, I don't think I need people, which is false, but it keeps me away from the church that Jesus wants for my life. See, we all have issues. We do. And we all need somebody else in our lives. I mean, what's, what's interesting for me, I had a really good friend that I grew up with that went into ministry. And I, I'll tell you, one of the hardest things in ministry is to be single in ministry. Because when you're single in ministry, it just, dating and all that, it's under a microscope. People pay attention to all those things. And a lot of times when you're in ministry, you think, oh, I'm above that. I remember we were in, we were doing that and he, we were in ministry and he started dating this girl that, I'm just saying, and look, it's not all about looks or anything like that, but she was in Maxim and I, it was, and here's the reason I say that. She was way too good looking for him. Like, not, like we were like, there's something wrong. Like she must have, never mind. Um, and he would like go, he would just hang out with her alone in his bedroom. And we're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm, it's okay. I'm a pastor. I'm fine. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool and all, but she's too good looking. That's not possible. And he kept going, oh no, it's good. Oh no, it's good. Oh no, it's good. I'm going to be good. And he like literally built up this pride. He goes, you guys can't tell me anything. And he would get mad every time. Well, about a month later, Everything came out. We had to deal with it. He had to step down from ministry. Why? Because he thought he was above it all. Because there, everything in our lives, there's a point where we go, I've got this mastered. I've got this down. And what Christianity shows us and really what the Bible teaches us is that's never a point that we have. We always need people in our lives. Here's a self-reliance indicator. Do you pray? I found this. The more you pray, the more you're being less self-reliant, the less you pray, the more it's showing you that you think you've got everything together. You wanna get rid of self-reliance in your life? Pray more, pray more. Here's the last one, self-deception. Self-deception. This is the place in my life where I fail over and over and over again, yet I still think I can do it on my own. In fact, I continue to fail and I'm like, it's okay, this time I've got it. It's the, time, it's the thing that I do over and over, yet I'm unwilling to accept help. And it's the belief that if I accept help, then that makes me weaker because I'm above that. The rules don't apply to me. I mean, think about it. Is there an area in your life where you feel like the rules don't apply to you? When you feel like the good teachings of other people don't apply to you, where you don't need help. 
I mean, it's interesting to see in people's lives all these places where they think they have it all together, yet for some reason there's one. You're going, why don't you seek help in that? They're like, it's fine. I've got it together. James 4, 6 to 8. This is just a verse that helps us understand Pride, it says this, says, and he graciously gives graciously, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We can read that verse, and we can feel like it's very harsh, but really, James, if you read through James, James is just blunt. He's that friend that absolutely loves you, but he's just like, you're an idiot. We all need those friends. And what he's doing right here, he's going, hey guys, I need you to understand when you're pride, when you have a lot of pride in your life, when you're proud, you are literally waking up every morning going, God, let's go. I'm gonna take you on. God, today, I think I can beat you in a fight. Today, God, no matter what you have, I think I can go against you. It literally says in the Bible, it opposes God. So what did he say? He's like, step back from that. In fact, the moment you step back from it, the moment you say, God, I want you in my life is the moment he comes back. He says, come close to God and he will come close to you. See, I don't think any of us want to be on the opposite side of God, but the moment we start believing we have everything together is that place. So how do we humble ourselves? And let me just say this. Humility, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking of yourself Badly, it's really more of humility. It's just an accurate description of who God is and who you are. It's understanding how much bigger God is than me. So how do we deal with this? Here's the first thing we do. You acknowledge your pride. You acknowledge your pride. How do you do that? Just like last week, you find someone in your life that will tell you the truth, like James. You need that one person in your life that will tell you the truth, not because they're just waiting and they already have a list. Not that person. But the person that absolutely cares about you wants the best for you can tell you the truth. Also, that same person will hear the truth from you. Now, not in the way where they actually tell you the truth and because you're mad, you make something up and go back at them. That's not what I'm talking about, like we all do. But there are people that will hear the truth also. We need people in our lives that will go, hey, how? That's prideful. That's wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. Why are you keeping us out at this point? Why won't you listen to someone who knows more than you. You acknowledge your pride, and here's the best thing you can do second. You change your focus. You take your focus off you, and you put it on other people. One of the cool things about our, our worship team on the weekend, I love this, is that when you want to sing frontline, one of the things that they make you do first is sing in the choir. Because as we've seen, people that sing and are good at singing think highly of themselves. And I'm just saying that too because I can't sing and I just f- figure they're all prideful. But <laughs> they do this purposely. They put you in the choir and you sing in the choir. And if you get mad that your talent is being wasted in the choir, that means you're not humble and you get to go somewhere else. Why? Because we want to make sure that when you're in front of people and you're singing about God, you're doing it with the same humility that Christ had. You're doing it because you want to lead somebody closer to God, not because you want everyone to come up to you at the end and go, oh my gosh, your voice is so beautiful. If you can serve without recognition, that is humility. If every place that you serve is a place you serve because somebody pats you on the back or someone tells you how great you are, that's not humility. Let me say this in dating world. You want to date someone, you want to marry someone who's okay with serving in anonymity. 
You want to find somebody that's perfectly okay serving without being told they're awesome all the time. Why? Because that's what marriage is. It's two people every day deciding to serve one another because they love each other. Because of that, they become better. If the person you are with doesn't have the ability to serve others, just nicely say, Pastor Hal told me to walk away. (laughs) That has happened before. It's okay. I get hate mail. It's fine. The more we serve others, the more we realize that we don't know as much as we think we do. You know what's amazing to me? The more I serve others, the more I meet people. I'm like, wow, you are way better at this than I am. And there's something that you bring there. One of the hardest parts about being a pastor is doing funerals. And I'll just say this to you guys, just to let you guys know. Um, when, when you have somebody that loses someone in your life, there's always that point where you're standing next to them and you're like, man, I just want to say the perfect thing. There is no perfect thing to say. I just want to give that to you right now. There is no perfect thing to say. There is no perfect verse. There is no perfect moment. The best thing you can do in that moment is just sit there and be with them. And lately, I've been a part of a couple funerals, and what's been incredible is they've been with people that I don't know, but I've walked away just feeling something different. Like, Like I've walked away feeling encouraged from a funeral. And the reason why is because the person that was that we were there for lived their life a different way. This past week, this past Thursday, we had a funeral at the Temple Terrace campus, and we had this lady that um, had died, and she had lived a long life. Um, I think she was in her 90s. And we had her two kids come up, and they just talked about the way she served and the way she loved. And then we had several other people start to walk up. And they're like, well, I'm her kid too, but not really, but I'm her kid. And she loved me, and she did these things for me. Kid after kid walked up and said that. And then adult after adult talked about how, man, anytime you walked over to her house, she had food and she was ready to talk. And I'm like, man, I wish I knew this woman. Like, this is incredible. And I'm sitting there listening to all this and taking it in, just seeing all the lives she affected, the way she was there for people and cared for people and was just loving to so many people, never turned anyone away. And I'm going, I'm sitting here going, all right, she was never a pastor. She was never in ministry, but she did exactly what God called her to do. She did exactly what she was supposed to do. She loved people the way Christ told us to love others. Guys, if we want to live a life that matters, if we want to live a life that affects others, it's a life that takes pride and puts it aside so that we can love those around us and we can accept the love from those around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the way that you've loved us. God, I thank you that you continue to give us second chances even when we continue to blow it. Uh, God, I pray right now that you would show us some areas in our life. You would show us some areas where we're holding on to some things, whether it's we're not accepting help, God, or we're trying to do things on our own, or it's just about us. God, I pray that you'd show it to us. God, I pray that you would allow us to find some people in our lives that are truth tellers, that will show us these things. And God, I pray that we would start to live a life that's humble. God, I pray that we look to serve others more than to serve ourselves. God, I thank you that you gave us Jesus and he set that example with everything that he did. God, we thank you for the daily opportunities that you put in our life to serve others and be a part of the plan that you have for this world. God, we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.